What's up, guys? This is the 404 Forum, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. What's up, Atlanta? This is your boy, Isaiah Smith, coming to you with another episode of the 404 podcast. Have a special guest on with us tonight to start the show. Going to be talking with Bryce Lewis. He is host of the Atlanta Hawks fan show. He's done a lot of work. His resume speaks for itself. Very honored to have him on the show. Bryce, uh, you want to tell everybody what's up and tell everybody where to find you on social media as well. Yes, sir. What's up, everybody? Uh, y'all can catch me on social media at Brycey underscore 2K, B-R-I-C-Y underscore 2K on Twitter. That's where I'm most active for you guys. Follow me on Instagram at Brycey underscore 2K as well. And like you said, Atlanta Hawks fan show, also Atlanta Falcons fan show as well on my YouTube, if y'all want to look that up as well. Awesome. Awesome. So he's definitely done his uh, his work covering uh, sports around the 404 and around Atlanta and in the state of Georgia. Um, also, be sure to check out me on social media as well um, at the 404 forum. That is T-H-E, the number four, the number zero, F-O-R-U-M. You can also catch me personally at Isaiah Smith 30 um, on Twitter as well. Um, be sure to like and subscribe us on Anchor, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um, just search for the 404 forum. Uh, let us know what you think. Give us your opinions, your comments. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. So um, we're going to in we got Bryce on to talk about the Hawks but uh before we get into the Hawks and kind of dig down there I want to talk about this this Brian Flores situation um across the NFL because you know we like to be aware of sports fans talk about how when, when sports intersect life um I think that's when we we have to talk about it I think a lot of people would prefer that that not happen but I think that's when we have to talk about it so with that in mind uh Bryce what do you kind of make of that what what's your 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 take on it so far with it only being about 48 hours old uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a situation that I think is, needs to be addressed. It's something that's been happening in the league for years. I mean, we knew that minority head coaches didn't have the same opportunities as their white counterparts, and I think that Brian Flores is taking a leap of faith, going out on a limb and suing the NFL for this because there needs to be changes that needs to be brought to light. And, you know, everything from, you know, the coach, like owner Stephen Ross trying to pay him to lose games to, you know, the fact that he's going into interviews, but the team already knows who they're going to get the job to, and it's just interviews, no pointless. It's one of those things where I think a lot of coaches, uh, especially minority coaches, have gone through where it's like the Rooney rule is just a check mark, not a we're actually seriously taking this candidate as seriously as we should. And I think that, you know, you know, I think everybody's saying you see it on social media, you see it from all the guys, the girls who cover sports that this is a real issue. This is actually legitimate. Yeah, yeah, that's the part that kind of resonates for me is he like you said, he's stepping out on a limb, um, stepping out on faith to kind of right or wrong and he doesn't really care about his I mean he cares about his coaching career but he's willing to put that on the line for future generations future people that are going to come after him to have an opportunity I you know you know I I personally um kind of want to see the institution I don't want to see it burned down because I do like the NFL the NFL feeds a lot of people Mm -hmm. um but but you know I I want to see that part of it the part where where it's so high up we don't know what happens well I think I hope that we're about to get some light shed in some of those back rooms and those dark rooms where we don't quite know what happens we think we know how the system operates but hopefully some some light is shed there um and hopefully we see some new guys get some opportunities because of it I mean a lot of people talk about coaching trees and that kind of thing. And you can blame the idea of a coaching tree on the reason that guys who are maybe underqualified or undeserving get head coaching jobs. Cause you know, the Texans are, are dying to give uh, Josh McCown uh, a head coaching job. And, <laughs> and 
it's just it, it just blows my mind but yeah. you know when you think about those coaching trees there are some limbs that are very strong but you know you have the Nick Sabans and the Belichicks that came from Bill Parcells but you also get Adam Gase um, and your your likelihood of getting an Adam Gase feels a lot more uh, likely the, the further out in those branches you go because because it's not like all these guys that are getting these head coaching jobs you know are top assistants they're mm-hmm. You know, I think about Dan Campbell. I hope Dan Campbell does a good job in in Detroit. But Dan Campbell was a linebackers coach. Uh, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. the allegiance to these trees. It's not always the best candidate that gets that gets gets hired. So you know, and then the idea that he was Brian Flores was asked to tank a guy who's competitive, um, and you're just event, you're giving him ammunition to push you out the door at that point, which which is what they want. Um, and, and as a and as a guy who's a young developing quarterback, like Tua Tagovailoa, um, how can you trust anyone in, in your organization if you're a young player? I just, I think this has has ramifications from the top down, not just head coaching, but I think some players are definitely going to have some things to say um, with the Super Bowl coming up. I think it's going to be put on at the at football's biggest stage. Um, and so I think this is, it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be, um, it's going to be an interesting thing, but it's going to be a good thing. Um, I just hope there's no cop out. I hope it's not a, well, you know, someone's going to be the quote unquote fall guy and let and, and hire Brian Flores just to, for the sake of hiring him uh, to get the monkey off their back. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I hope some things are brought to light. I hope some, some dark rooms are, are brought into the light and, and we're able to see what's going on. Um, I really do hope that's the case for minority candidates and for guys, you know, five, 10 years down the road, because there are a lot of really good minority coaches who need not just need an opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you. It's uh, like they say, Brian Flores is probably better than 20 coaches that are currently hiring right now. And yeah. like I said, when he got fired, everybody was kind of like, I don't get it. <laughs> and now with the allegations that are coming out, it's like, okay, it's kind of making sense why it didn't make sense because there's a lot of stuff that happens. I mean, don't forget Jim Caldwell, nine, nine and seven. Winning seasons, got fired. You know, David Culley, one season. Houston played well at the end of the year, got fired. And it feels like it only happens to black head coaches. It doesn't happen to everybody else. And I think that's – even Steve Wilkes at Arizona, fired after a year. It yes. just feels like sometimes it's just used as a scapegoat more than, okay, this guy can actually coach. He actually is good for our team. And it's something that definitely needs to change. and Definitely needs to, like I said, bring the light needs to be shed on that so we can solve and figure out all of this. Of course, I, I agree. Um, you know, and you know, we have the Rooney rule. We talked, you talked about it a little bit before. Um, but you know, I don't know how much of a TV watcher you are, but it reminds me of an episode of, of Scandal, um, one of my favorite shows that I've watched, and I'm rewatching at this point. But uh, <laughs> to, to put it in short, they're trying to pass a bill, civil rights bill, however ironic that may be. They're trying to pass a bill, and you know, the vice president has to come in because one of the Congress people goes into labor. Vice president's got to break a tie. They're trying to get her vote yes, vote yes, vote yes, um, and she. Holds Holds the bill up because there's no way to enforce it, um, and so I, that's how I feel about the Rooney the Rooney rule. It's a it's great in nature. The the intent is definitely there, but how do we enforce the Rooney rule? Do we mm-hmm. put league officials in to oversee this whole hiring process? I don't know that I trust the league to that extent. I don't know that that should be necessary. Um, why, as an owner, is your commitment to winning not so great that you just want the best candidate? Period is my question. Why do you own an? I don't why you own an NFL franchise, but why do you own an NFL franchise if winning is not the number one goal? Because that's how you're going to maximize your revenue, and because the whole goal is to make money. Um, so that I just I just don't understand. Um, 
I want to see some changes with the Rooney rule. I want to see some changes to the whole system because I think that's where it's going to start is the system's got to change. And some people just got to change the way they think about things uh, because and whether it's the NFL holding their feet to the fire or a true change of heart, I don't know which it's going to be, but it's got to be something. Um, so hopefully that will be sorted out in the coming weeks. It will be sorted out. Hopefully we'll you know be able to talk a little bit more about it and get some more information. Um, I want to know what the ramifications are for Bill Belichick because he's clearly on the inside. He clearly has his hands in the cookie jar for like <laughs> a, better, a, a better way of putting it. But, you know, I'm interested to see how this whole thing plays out. So um, that'll be fun. We'll talk about some NFL action as the uh, as we go through the offseason here and into the Super Bowl. Um, but we got to talk about the Hawks. The Hawks were red hot. Now they're just hot or lukewarm. I don't know after the other night. Um, mm. But, you know, that's why we had Bryce on the show. Didn't bring him here to talk about Brian Flores in that situation. Mm-hmm. But got to talk about the Hawks. Um, and, you know, we know the Hawks have won seven of their last eight. They've been playing really, really good basketball of late. Um, so, Bryce, what do we owe this Hawks turnaround? And, you know, talk about the Cam Reddish trade as well. What is, is that a factor? Or are we giving Cam Reddish too much credit for saying he's a big – his absence is a big part of the turnaround? Uh, well, I think it's kind of both sides. I think the trading Cam Reddish, I think, opened up things for the team because I always say last year's run, you know, with all the injuries – players kind of knew what they had to do on a nightly basis for this team to win because of the injuries. So there was an understanding of everybody's role. Um, And I think this year when you had so much talent on one team and the depth that you had, not everybody knew their role at full strength. You know, yeah, we know Trey Young's that guy, but okay, then who's number two and who's three and what are, what are you sacrificing and what are you going to contribute? I think that was a big issue. I also think, now that I think about it, Cam Reddish's style of play didn't work with the team. Cam Reddish is a guy I think he needs value. He needs the ball in his hands. And I think playing on the bench unit doesn't really give him the ability to do that. Plus also, you know, especially if you have Lou as your backup point, he's a guy who also, you know, pretty much wants the ball in his hands. So it's basically a reason why I think sometimes Cam would jack up shots because he's just like, listen, I, I don't, I might not get a lot of attempts playing through the, the regular offense. So and I think with the trade, it now has helped everybody understand the role better. So now everybody knows, okay, this is what I need to do for us to be successful on a night and night and night in and night out basis. Obviously, I also think the contributions of Yaka Kongu coming back healthy looked like he's taking another step in his second year. DeAndre Hunter coming back healthy. You know how good he can be. I think all of those pieces have played where now the Hawks are playing better. Remember, their efficiency rating is number one in the NBA offensively. Defensively, it's it's it, it was last now it's 29th but it's improving and ever since the winning streak they've been in the top 10 in defensive efficiency during those stretch of games so they're playing better defense and they have some good defenders and now it's just about putting it all together and I think that's what happened I think a lot of people obviously when the Raptors game happened everybody just went crazy like oh no we're we, we were terrible we can't do anything about Trey Young even though we only lost by five points and listen, we just had one bad quarter. I mean, mm-hmm. that, I mean that, that happens. It happens in the NBA. Sometimes I, I don't understand this, this perception that when we play teams that I, I think the thing is, is people look at the Hawks as a contending team. So they think any team that's not a contending team, we should beat. And it shouldn't be, it should be hard. And it's like, it's the NBA, it's 82 games. Literally the Miami Heat, the number one seed, just got blown out by Boston by like 32 points. Yep. Like it, it happens. It just, you're not going to be great every night, but I think yeah. we just think Raptors, oh, they're not on our level. We're a championship contending team. Even without Trey Young, we should still beat them. I'm like, they have Van Fleet, Siakam, 
uh, Gary Trent, OG Ananobi. Like those are really, those are good players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think um, sometimes we overreact to like games like that. I remember when we lost to Cleveland early in the year. Oh, this is the worst loss ever. Now Cleveland's a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can we, can we not? Like it's the NBA, things happen. There's a difference from not coming out and competing and then, you know, just getting beat. Like, hey, they just had a better game than you that night. I mean, that just happens. Of course. You know, of so, course. but overall, I think, you know, I think we figured out our roles. We're playing better. We know what we're doing. And I think it's contributing to us actually having fun on the court, which is obviously when the Hawks are at their best, I think it's when they're having fun. Of course, I agree with that. You know, looking back at the other night, like you said, it was really one quarter. And in the midst of that win streak, the Hawks weren't playing what I would consider perfect basketball. They were having a quarter, even sometimes quarter and a half or two quarter lapses that, granted, they were able to withstand. You have a guy like Trey Young who can make up for a, a bit of a lapse. The Hawks mm-hmm. weren't playing perfect basketball by any any stretch. They were playing very good basketball, but it wasn't a level of basketball that I'm going to say is is going to put them in the upper echelon of the East. I don't know that, you know, they can contend, but I, I, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't the, it was still wasn't the product that I saw last May and June mm-hmm. throughout the playoffs. It wasn't the same. Um, and maybe I'm being jaded or a bit of a hater or whatever the case may be for thinking that, but um, you know, I, I, there still was work to be done, but you know, like you said about the Raptors, the Raptors are, be, are built to beat anyone. They're big and long. And like you said, all those guys they got are, Mass have massive wingspans and Scotty Barnes gets after it. And Nick mm. Nurse is a perfect head, you know, got to coach a group of talent like that because he's going to do so many different things defensively to put them in positions with double teams, play in zone, full court pressing, whatever it may be. He's willing to do all those different things and be weird and make you think and make you work and take you out of your comfort zone. And if one guy's, you know, playing well, he's going to try to take the ball out of his hands with a double team and play jump defense and anything he's got to do really. But like, I agree with what you said. I think health. Um, I'm not don't know that I'm willing to give I know that Cam Reddish's absence clears up some some rotation pieces there I don't know that I'm willing to give Cam Reddish the credit to say in his absence makes things less awkward or anything like that maybe there is some of that going on Um, I I think the clean injury reports um, you know most of this roster not being healthy through the offseason and then having to play themselves in the shape and they finally played themselves in the shape had a seven game win streak earlier in the year and then they all got COVID and so mm-hmm. basically the entire roster missed a month and then they kind of bounced back from COVID and you know with the nature of COVID we heard about how it affected Anyeka Kongwu and thinking people like you know guys like that so once they kind of found their confidence I think that really kind of spurred them um, along and so you know Anyeka Kongwu his emergence too is just it's surprising, uh, but I love it. I love watching him play. He's one of the best or one of the better post defenders I've seen, being able to guard Giannis, being able to guard Embiid, you know, two very different type of players, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, um, finishing lobs, running the rim. He plays his role. He plays it well. Um, and so I, it's been a pleasure to see him, him grow in year two, and hopefully he continues that. But for the Hawks, you know, how do they and can they, I guess is the question, the big question, can they sustain this level of play and how do they do it here over the last, I guess, half or quarter of the season? Uh, I mean, they just have to continue to play the way they've been playing. I think, you know, right now you've played yourself in a position where you're in the playing spot. So I mean, like about it. when you're trying to get into the playoff spot, you still have a chance. And I, listen, I think we could beat any team that we have to twice if we need to, to be able to get in. Um, obviously you want to get up to eight or seven, so you only have to win one game out of the two, but I think that we're in a position where we can make a run. Um, obviously, we may not be as high in seeding as we thought, everything like that. But I think, obviously, we know playoffs is about matchups. And if we get a good matchup, you don't know what could happen. But I think for us, really, I think 
you know, health, obviously, like I said, just remaining healthy. Um, I know some people are wondering with the trade deadline coming up, is, is Slink still going to make a big move? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like with the team playing better, it's kind of like, do I still make a big move and take a chance, you know, messing up chemistry and then what the trade doesn't work? Um, or do I make a minor move? I think some people after the last game, it's like, okay, we still kind of need a backup PG just in case Trey's out, another ball handler. Um, some people were surprised they didn't even go with bogey as the point at some times. Um, I think, like I said, I think, you know, we just got to continue to get constant contributions from Kevin from DeAndre, because they, they, they both didn't have good games, you know, that game, even with um, John. You know, obviously, he's a big top of the conversation every time we do have a not a great game. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, yeah, we need those guys to be more consistent, but obviously, like I said, it happens. And But if we're more consistent more than we're not, I think we should, with our schedule, we, we should be able to still make the playoffs and be able to at least get back into the dance where we may feel like, hey, I mean, really, we, we beat Philly. I feel like Chicago is very beatable. Um, you know, the Heat are going to be an interesting team. You know, I think we feel like why why in the Eastern Conference, why wouldn't we have a chance to still be able to compete if we were able to get there and get into the dance and be able to compete at that moment? Exactly. I agree. I think, you know, there are a lot of te- – there are a lot of gettable teams in front of the Hawks. I mean, you think about Charlotte. You think about um, some of these other teams that are just sitting – you know, Toronto even that are sitting – playoff spot or two playoff spots ahead and, and it's tightly packed even at the top I think it's four or five games separating like one through six at this point and Brooklyn's at six um, and we know how good Brooklyn can be when they're at full strength and then looking at the bottom half it's it's just as tightly packed only a couple games um, mm-hmm. so just kind of kind of to look forward a little bit there um, what are there any matchups that you've kind of seen or identified that you think may be a good a good place for the Hawks to be or a good matchup for them to have going into a seven game series uh yeah, actually, I, I've been saying this actually to my friends a little bit. I said Chicago is a team that I would play because I feel like Chicago right now, people are kind of not sure if they're for real. You know, they're still debating. Is Chicago really that good, as the record says? And I think that's a team where I, I feel like matchup-wise, I think we match up pretty well against them. You know, I feel like we, you can say we're built a little similarly. But I think it's just matchup. I think it'll be a great series first, but I, I think we could take them. Um, I think Philly, because, I mean, it was a tough series last year, but this year I just – Tobias is not playing well. There's no Ben Simmons. So you don't have that guy who you could just say, oh, Ben can handle Trey Young. You know, they don't have him. So unless they make a major move, uh, I, I would like that series. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you know Embiid going to get his. I mean, that's, that's just how it is. You're not – but if you can slow everybody else down, you're good. And then – Probably, you know, Charlotte, I'm not scared of it too much. Um, anybody probably from five down, even Cleveland. I, I mean, if we got Cleveland, like, I mean, listen, we don't know in the playoffs, you know, what that's going to look like. I mean, we can always say in that situation, hey, we have the experience. We went through uh, Eastern Conference uh, finals run last year. They have it. They're trying to get where we want to go. And, you know, we've been through a lot. Now, that's one thing I always say about Hawks teams, like last year and this year. They have been through a lot to get to where they are. And that, I think that's big because there, you have to go through that trial and tribulation to be like, you know, we've been through some stuff and we've gotten through it and now we're here. You know, same thing with the Braves. They went through it and then they got to the World Series and they won yes. it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it happens. You know, you can be say Georgia for a second after that yes. SEC championship game. They like, man, can we, we can't beat Bama still. And then they got through it and they beat Bama. Like, it's just, 
you got to go through something to get to where you want to go. And I think right now, if the Hawks feel like injuries, COVID, chemistry, everything, and still make it to the playoffs, we have a chance just like anybody else here to make that run and still complete the goals they had at the beginning of the season, which is go further than the Eastern Conference Finals and make it to the NBA Finals. I think you said it all right there. That's perfect. I mean, um, the Hawks are battle-tested. Like, you know, I've been thinking this since the beginning of the season when I thought the Hawks were going to be, you know, a top two, top three, top four team in the East. You know, no one in the East truly scares me. Nobody Mm. just puts that fear of God in me um, Mm. in the way that, you know, those LeBron James Miami Heat teams did or, you know, even the year the Hawks were 60 wins and LeBron and the Cavs come in and swept them. Um, The way that some of those teams have, you know, the way that Oklahoma City, when they had Harden, Westbrook and, and Durant, the way those teams made you really you know, sit back in awe and kind of revere them the way, you know, the Warriors did in 2016. Those there, There's not a team like that in the East that just makes me think that, oh, it, this is going to be a tough out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the Hawks experience is going to do do wonders. I mean, I, I think you've got a team like the Bulls. Many of those guys have not been playoff tested. DeRozan's been there a little bit. Caruso's been all the way through in a bubble-type environment. Um, and that's about it, really. Um, Vucevic doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. Those young guys don't have a ton of experience. Um, same thing when you think about Cleveland. Kevin Love is their, their veteran there, but he's – Again, he's not their their main piece. So when it comes to that leadership, I think you've got you've got a guy that's proven to be a big shot taker and a big shot maker in the playoffs and Trey Young. Um, you think about whatever that Milwaukee series could have been last year if he doesn't roll his ankle. Um, you know, there, there's there's no team in this thing that scares me. The Hawks went to Brooklyn and played Brooklyn about as close as you can play Brooklyn for three quarters with, you know, the majority of their lineup earlier in the year. So I'm not, not scared of Brooklyn either, even though they, if they do have Kyrie Irving or have him back for home games or whatever his, his playing situation is, um, I, I, no one scares me. And, and like you said, um, like the Braves, like the, the uh, like Georgia, um, they've got some of the battle-tested nature there. And so hopefully that will be one of the pieces that puts them over the top. And I, and I think it will be. I think in an early series, um, you get the Bulls and State Farm, they may not know what hit them. If you can still win on the road and then take two at home, you're in a great position. You're right where you want to be if you're if you're this Hawks team. So, um, you know, t- we spoke about the Braves a little bit and talked about, you know, kind of how they did things and, and they made some moves in the middle of their season. I know they had some a few more injury concerns than this Hawks team does. But with the Hawks, are there any trade deadline moves that you think could put this team closer to contention or any guys who may be on the open market that um, could come in and give this team a jolt and make them even better um, going down the final stretch here? Um, that's such an interesting question. I know a lot of people have been debating who we should get. I always say one thing about this team is we can score. So necessarily getting an offensive player really isn't a need. If anything, you're going to make a trade for someone who can defend. And then also if it's like the guard, backup point guard position, someone who can facilitate. Um, obviously, the problem is, is that it feels like Atlanta guards over the years that are backing up Trey Young are one side. Either they score and that's it. Either they can pass and that's it. So it's like if you play them, you're not getting this, but you're getting that, you know. And so if they're not doing that, it's like, well, they're not doing anything. And it, it, like I said, it's just interesting now because, I mean, we've heard reports that you know, if, if someone wants John Collins, they got to give up a starter and a pick. You know, we don't know if a team's going to give up for John. Um, you know, we've heard, you know, Bogdanovich maybe is someone who could be getting moved. We heard that even, you know, Kevin Herter, but that's like more of what we have to more than if they're trying to. Um, Gallinari, obviously, because he has 20 million that's kicking in next year. You know, the Hawks are also looking to reset some cap, you know, because they're going to be over the luxury tax with nine players uh, on a contract contracted next year. So if anything, maybe they'll make a move there. Um, but I'm not. 
there's no move to me right now that's just like that's the move it's one of those things where you it's one of those like things like you know what would help but you're not necessarily there's not like a player in my mind that's just like yeah we have to zero in on this guy you know so I think that's that's how I kind of feel there I think for me defensive help is really what you you're targeting, I think, if you're the Hawks, but you want someone who can be a threat offensively. Um, you know, DeLon Wright, I thought he was going to kind of grab that backup point guard role by the reins coming into the season, and he's proven to not be the greatest offensive threat, you know, in, in the ability to facilitate, but he defends well. He can score, but he's just not going to facilitate for other guys. And then we know what Lou Williams is, and there's not a lot of other, not a lot of other options back there behind those guys. But um, I think defensive help is the, is the, the number one thing. There, like you said, I, when the season first started, I, I was I coveted Ben Simmons. I was thinking there was a way to to move and get him and not give up what Philly is going to ask. I thought his value was just going to continually decrease. They're still thinking he has so much value. So with him kind of off the table to me, and there are some other issues with Ben Simmons for that matter with mm-hmm. roster and things like that. But um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think um, we know what we want with the Hawks. Um, it's just not a specific player that's coming to mind. I think the one thing that always comes to mind for me when I think about making, when I think about making trades for this team is does it put you closer to a championship? Mm-hmm. And if the realistic clear answer is no, then I don't think you make the move because think about how close the Hawks were to a championship last season. And I think the NBA is in a, in a bit of a period where there's going to be so much just parity. Um, I think we're in a period where we could legitimately see four different champions in five years, you know, as we go forward with Milwaukee winning, with Phoenix being what they are out West with, you know, whatever LeBron James can do with the Lakers, with Brooklyn, with Philly, with all these teams that are, you know, Memphis and Denver and everyone has a young star and, and the talent is spread around the league pretty, pretty well, pretty evenly for that matter. So um, I think if you're the Hawks holding Pat, isn't the worst thing you can do because you've shown you can play at a high level. Um, so with that in mind, I do have one more question for you before um, I let you off here. Um, thank you so much for your time again. But um, but uh, one more question, John Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of talked about him around this time last year with someone else. Kind of talked about does he deserve to get paid? Does he not deserve to get paid? Where where's the con- what's the consensus there? So I want to ask now. We're kind of halfway through his first year of making quote unquote big money. Um, so what's the general consensus on John Collins? Is is he the true number two or is he I heard someone say he's not you know Trey Young's Batman John Collins isn't a Robin he's more like Catwoman he's he's more than a third string or third third fiddle type player um so where do we should we position John Collins in our minds I guess with his hierarchy and is is it worth entertaining the trade ideas um I mean the thing about John is you know I think a lot of people look at him and think, okay, he's making 25 million a year. He needs to be this superstar. First, a lot of second options in the league make 35. So he's not even really getting paid section second option money. I think this is the issue. And money in the NBA is so big that you just hear them a big number and think, oh, he has to be a star player if he's going to make it. But literally the cap's going up in a couple of years. And then literally players might be able to make 50 million. So he's making 25. He's making half of what a top tier player would make. A second tier player would probably make 40 million. He's still at 25. <laughs> That's not a bad deal if you think about it. And I think people also like to make the argument, oh, Trey Young makes him. Well, if you think about a lot of guys in the game, he's a big man. You know, he's not a, it's like, I think people want him just to get the ball in his hand and just say, screw it, I'm going to make a shot. But the thing is, is that John plays within the offense. And I think people hate that because they're just like, 
how can you be the number two, but you're not going to just, I guess, force your will or whatever. John is a very efficient player. He shoots 40% from three. He has a mid-range. He can dunk. Good free throw shooter. Improving defender. Can block shots. He does a lot of good things. It's just people are like, but since he's not averaging 20 a night and 10 rebounds, well, is he really that good? And I have to remind people, his first, his second and third year in the league, it was just him and Trey. And he averaged 20 and 10 a night because he had to. So he's capable. He's just not asked to. And that was what he went through last year. He wasn't asked to be 20 and 10, John. He said, help us be the, help us win. And that's what John does. Sometimes John, 16 points and eight rebounds, maybe all what we need to do. But if he's defending at a high level, rebounding, contesting shots, making hustle plays, those can also lead to victories as well and help the team in the long term. So I think it, it's just, we just see big money and just think he has to be the second option. Is he the true second option? Personally, if you're talking about offensively second option, no, he's not the second option. And there's nothing wrong with that. It'll probably be, it'll probably be either Bogdanovich or DeAndre Hunter or whoever. Honestly, it's whoever is the hottest that night is the second option, really. It's not a because that's the point. When you're saying John's the second, well, Bogey can get hot. We we've seen Hunter get hot. Kevin Herter can have a big game. You know, you can't really sit there and say it's just definitively John. Because remember, also, those guys are, are forwards and guards. They're able to get the, have a better chance to get the ball in their hands. John literally has to get plays called for him a lot of the time. And listen, people also like to bring this fact up as well. John Collins and Trey Younger is one of the best pick and roll duos in all the NBA. I always say y'all want to get rid of John so bad, but y'all don't understand that John makes the pick and roll so much easier for Trey because of his ability to go to the rim and shoot the three. You just have Clint. We know Clint rolling. He ain't shooting. You know how to defend it. John, he's like, oh, is he going to the three? Is he going to the rim? Okay, we're going to play John. Well, Trey can get him and do his floater. It helps Trey Young's game. I think these are these are details of the game people miss. And so, you know, I think John is, for what this team wants him to be, I think what they're asking him to be, he's been doing it very well. I think people will say it all the time. If you see him, he makes an impact on the game without big stat lines. But he'll sometimes have those games where he'll have 20, 25 points if he needs to, because it happens. It's on an NBA basis. You never know who's going to have that big night. I mean, people want to see more of that game. I remember this one specific game against Golden State last year. Him, I think him and Trey both almost had 30 in that game. And this is when Golden State was like, you know, uh. but I mean, they both had 30. I think people want to see that. But it's like, hey, sometimes that's just not what it's called for, you know? So personally, I think John is, he, I think I love John Collins. I think he's, 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 he's the leader of this team. He's, he's somebody who cares. He wants to win. You know, he wants people to, he wants to hold people accountable because he knows he, where he wants the city to go and what this team to go. And I think you can't hate that. People try to create this fake narrative that him and Trey Young don't like each other. And I don't think that's it at all. I think the thing about John is John's not afraid to speak up. I think sometimes we just think, because if someone steps up to Trey, oh, he don't like Trey. And it's like, that's not it. He's just saying, well, I think I should get the ball ran through me a little bit more. Why is that a terrible thing? I mean, maybe there's, because there literally, there were so many times earlier in the season where John would be playing really well in the first three quarters and we wouldn't give it to him in the fourth. And we're complaining, why are we not running the ball through John? He was playing well. And so, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, you, you can't be nitpicky with John. Yes, John is going to have some games there. going to be like, oh, John, we need more from you tonight. But literally everybody does. Remember, Giannis with Chris Middleton. We remember Chris Middleton. The roller coaster of Chris Middleton. Sometimes that boy jack up 20 shots, get three maids. And that's just how it is sometimes. That's I, mean, it is, yeah. it, it, I mean, I, I know we expect more, and, we, and you should, but let's not act like every single night he going to be on it, because that's just not sometimes how it is. 
Yeah, that's not how it is. And if everyone were on every single night, you'd be 82 and 0. Um, and that's that's not the way it is. Like you talked about with the team as a whole, um, you you know, you're going to have off nights. You're going to have nights where you lose to Toronto, a team that you feel like you should be better than because it's an 82-game season, an 82-game grind. And it's hard on, on mm-hmm. the back end of a back-to-back to come out and have the spirited effort when you just had a spirited effort uh, to beat the Lakers, you know, even in your own gym, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I think, you know, I don't know if you watched Georgia's championship, uh, the parade, and watched all that pomp and circumstance. Kirby Smart talked about their defense, and they said in the in their program, in their system, one plus one equals three. And I, I think that rings so true for John Collins and Trey Young. Um, the, the, the sum of, of the whole is greater than its parts. Um, you know, Trey Young's ability to break down defenses and keep the floor, you know, spaced help John, helps John Collins have room. Um, and John Collins even opens up the Trey Young, Clint Capella, or Nyeka Okongwu pick and roll. Because we know, like you said, you know Clint Capella and Okongwu are rolling. But if you're, with John Collins, another guy you got to account for. It opens up the backside for those lobs. It opens, you know, opens the floor when Trey Young turns the corner, especially if Collins has hit a couple, you know, a couple shots. If he spaces to the corner, now what does the backside defender do? You may help on Trey Young. Who's going to help the helper? So it's those nuances, like you said, that people miss. That if you know you watch basketball and you break, I guess break it down at a certain level, you see it and you understand it. I thought that's why Toronto did such a good job the other night. They the Hawks couldn't see those lobs on the backside, and from the the TV angle. I could see it. I was like, it's open. And maybe if Trey Young's in there, he probably throws it anyway because he's that confident and just has a feel for it. But when you're playing with Bogey and Herter as your, your, your two guards and you don't have a true point guard out there, it becomes a little bit more difficult to get those kind of plays where it's not so much as the, you don't see it with your eyes, but Trey Young feels it. He feels the game well. Um, but speaking about John Collins, you know, I'll leave it with this uh, before before we get out. Um, if you can make a trade, if you're going to trade John Collins, just make sure that the guy that you get is going to give you, like, like you said, 50% field goal percentage, 40% from three, 17 points a game, eight rebounds a game, um, and is going to improve on those core numbers every mm-hmm. single season he's in the league um, with your team because that's what John Collins has done. He came in as a dunker, an athlete, improved his game, added the mid-range game, then added the three-point game, and now he's you know able to attack a little bit more off the dribble, an improving defender does a lot of things for you know for the Hawks as far as effort plays, and then also a locker room guy. Don't forget about the effect that he kind of has, I guess, to galvanize the team in a way. He's in my mind. I made this comparison before. He to a couple friends. He is in a sense the Shaq to Trey Young's Kobe, and mm-hmm. not to say that you know those they're carbon copies of those two players, but Trey Young's the fiery in your face runs on runs hot on emotion sometimes but John Collins to me is the level-headed cool composed guy who's who's not going to let Trey Young railroad a guy you know because I think Trey Young can can probably get get in some guys faces and mm-hmm. and and get upset but John Collins is going to keep everything even keel um, he's got a nature about him and he, he navigates the locker room well seems like he's very liked and he wants to be in Atlanta is maybe the most important thing. He wants to be in Atlanta. He wants to win championships in Atlanta. So if, if we're going to move Collins, you got to give me 50% from the field, 40% from three, 17 and eight. And, and he's got to improve on that yearly and, and lead the lead the charge, lead the locker room. So I think those that's one of the things that, that people miss and don't think about when, oh, we can get a guy right now who can be better. Jeremy Grant might be better than John Collins right now, but in two years, Jeremy Grant's not going to be better than John Collins. And that's, mm-hmm. That's the fact of them. That's just the way it is. Um, you can debate that about Ben Simmons. Um, maybe you can't. I don't know. Ben Simmons isn't going to give you the same element from three. So 
there's there's a lot of questions there, but that you can a lot of ways you can go. But all in all, I really I agree with you. I think John Collins is an irreplaceable piece. You don't have the Trey Young that you have in Atlanta without John Collins because you can't just throw in any any old other guy there with the way that you know Clint Capella plays and the some of the other guys that they're going to trot out there and expect to work. Travis Link has done a great job building this roster. This is a a very good roster. I don't know if it's ready to be a championship roster yet, but it's a very very good roster with all of its all of its pieces and parts coming together to make a, a pretty great sum. I, I think you can agree with there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think the team, like I said, they can build off this. They're young, they're getting better. And I think if they have the room to grow and really make – if they can get hot like they did last year, make another run in the playoffs. I don't see why not. Absolutely. I think that's that's got to be the goal. Um, for the Hawks, I think that is the goal for the Hawks is to get in, get as high as you can seating wise, and then make a run. Um, and who knows what's going to happen? The number, you know, everybody's 0 0 when they get in the playoffs. That every series starts out 0 0. Um, and the goal is to make a run. I know it's cliche, but it's the truth. And it's what you got to do. It's what, if you want to be a champion, it's just what you got to do sometimes. So um, that's all we got as far as Hawks talk uh, tonight. Um, Bryce, again, thank you very much for being on. Thank you for agreeing to come and talk some Hawks tonight. Um, hope to have you back on the show, hopefully soon. To talk about some more, another winning streak, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. I love to be back on, man. I appreciate you having me on to the show. Of course, of course, anytime. Uh, make sure um, for all you guys listening, check him out on social media, on Twitter. Um, give him a follow. Um, make sure to check out his show as well. He gets out on social media pretty quickly. Also, um, so again, thank you guys for tuning in for the first part here. I'm going to step away with a quick break. When I get back, I've got a 404 flyover, and I'm going to talk about the Falcons for just a little bit. So um, stick around, and I'll be right back after a break. Don't you just hate it when the group text is jumping about last night's game? but you don't have anything to say because you didn't watch it. Well, if you listen to the 404 Forum, you will never feel that again because we're bringing you the latest each week in what's happening around Atlanta sports scene. So follow the show on Facebook and Twitter and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll never feel left out in the group text again. Ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts. It is now time for the 404 flyover. So around the 404, we got some uh, some interesting news. Um, we know Stetson Bennett is back. Um, it's like the, the the groundhog seeing its shadow for UGA. Um, we've got six more weeks of winter, but spring it's on its way. And it's my same thought about uh, about Stetson Bennett. You know he's a national title-winning quarterback. There's no denying he's not as dynamic of a playmaker as you'd hope to have uh, if you're the University of Georgia, I think. Um, you know, I know Kirby Smart's comfortable with him. I know he did win a national title again. But, you know, there's – there's some comparison, I think, that's still in the joy of Stetson Bennett being back. Um, when you think about Bryce Young in Alabama and, you know, wherever JT Daniels is going to land and Jackson Dart um, at Ole Miss and some of those other big-time playmakers there. And, and Bennett's a big-time playmaker as well. But, however, um, I think Bennett being there to run it back is not the worst option. You keep letting your young guys learn. Hopefully Brock Vandergriff can, can step in. He actually has a similar play style to Bennett, just with a slightly bigger arm, uh, maybe a little quicker as well, if you, if you can be that in that position. Also, you see some of those similarities with Gunnar 
Hunter Stockton as well, coming in as a freshman. So they're going to be looking to use, you know, use him to the, the most of his abilities in Todd Munkin's offense. But hopefully you get to see things keep being opened up. Um, you know, you don't want to have more situations like Jermaine Burton. Uh, you know, essentially Jermaine Burton, I think, felt a little bit lied to, a little bit deceived. He was promised that offense was going to open up when he committed to Georgia um, under Todd Munkin with, you know, with JT Daniels coming. Um, and that's not that wasn't the case because Kirby Smart went safe with the quarterback situation. Nothing wrong with going safe with the quarterback situation. But all in all, I think that's part of the reason for uh, Jermaine Burton's departure. And you don't want to start losing receivers uh, that way. But there's also no shortage of quality pass catchers in Athens. Um, we've talked about it before. Arian Smith, Dominic Blaylock, A.D. Mitchell, Lad McConkie, um, Arik Gilbert will be back. You've got Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, Oscar Delp coming in. Um, anyone else who may emerge in that, in that freshman class as well. Um, so Stetson Bennett's going to have some weapons. He'll have a solid running back group as well. Uh, but I think, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to to see how he goes about this last year, depending on what happens. Hopefully they do run the table and get right back to where they were um, in this season. But I think with, with the promise of Vandergriff and Stockton or maybe even Carson Beck um, on the horizon, um, it's 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 going to be hard to not think about what if and what's maybe going to come. Um, so, you know, I, I think with, with Georgia, I think it's some people are stomaching another year of Stetson Bennett, but I do think he's earned that year. He's earned the right to be the starting quarterback at the University of Georgia for the most part without controversy for another year because of the way he, he handled that situation and, and conducted himself over the past couple of seasons and then really went out and, and is a champion. He's a champion. So how many teams are, are you going to see return their starting quarterback off of a national championship and feel pessimistic um, and have the fan base feeling pessimistic about him coming back? There aren't many. Um, this is a different, a special situation, but nonetheless, i um, hoping for the most and the best for, for Stetson Bennett and from him um, in this upcoming season in 2022 and 23. Um, also the MLB lockout still going. There's no resolution to the Freddie Freeman contract. Um, we were hot and heavy on that, um, you know, back in, in the fall, in the late fall, early winter. Um, I still think Freddie Freeman's going to be a brave. I don't like having to sit around and wait with no resolution and the team can't negotiate and things of that nature. But I do think um, Freddie Freeman's going to be a brave. Um, so again, that's all we've got for the 404 flyover. It was brief as promised, but going to talk about the Falcons next. Going to segue into that portion of the show here right now. Going to segue into that portion of the show here right now um, and, and talk about the NFC South a little bit. We've seen that division kind of get shaken up um, with the Falcons situation. It's looking more and more tenable um, and stable, you know, by the day. We've seen, you know, Sean Payton decide to, to step away from coaching. Tom Brady has retired. Um, you know, I have a suggestion for the Bucs. Um, here's, here's my suggestion. Go ahead and fire Bruce Arians and promote Byron Leftwich, the head coach. I think Byron Leftwich is going to be um, a heck of a head coach if he gets an opportunity when he gets an opportunity opportunity I think it should be when not if because he's already proven his value both I think in Arizona and in uh, in Tampa being able to take that offense and make it work even though he did have a, the goat at the quarterback position okay he did have the greatest guy greatest of all time at that position but nonetheless he's proven his scheme and, and the things that he he wants to do works you know he, he was able to win a, a few games with Jameis Winston and make a guy who a lot of people thought was not a very good quarterback seem like he was serviceable and was able to win games um, and, and a lot of that was Jameis's decision making not Byron Luff which um, maybe calling the wrong plays or not having a good scheme um also you gotta think i gotta think the saints missed out um brian dayball to me seemed like the guy who was closest to being what sean payton was as far as being an offensive mind who could kind of make you know make 
chicken salad out of chicken, you know what. Um, and so that would have been kind of not a scary hire, but it would have been uh, the hire that would have kept the Saints, I think, in with relevancy here. But I think if they promote Dennis Allen, a longtime assistant, um, they're not in a they're, they're they are in a bit of a mess, not because of Dennis Allen, but because of their cap situation, um, which is an utter disaster. Um, if you know the Falcons, I think, are moving out of salary cap hell this offseason into salary cap purgatory, while the 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 Saints are in the deepest lake of the inferno um, when it comes to the salary cap. And then the Panthers continue to be an underwhelming dumpster fire with whatever the heck they have going on um, in Charlotte. So love the city of Charlotte. Sorry, you have to look at the Panthers every week. Um, so the Falcons, as far as the Falcons situation, when you stack it up against all those things, um, the Falcons ended, you know, on a high note, I think this season, and we're going to kind of have a bit of an exit interview with the, you know, for the Falcons to kind of debrief on, on their season here in a second. We know it's moving past it with the Super Bowl on the horizon and we're about to be in the offseason, but I think with a solid draft and some good value signings and free agency, the Falcons are going to be right back in or near the mix. Um, they were in the mix, you know, coming into December, they won a couple of games, they went into San Francisco. They played, you know, a very meaningful game in, in earlier mid-December there against the 49ers. It didn't go the Falcons' way, and we saw where the 49ers ended up. They were a very good football team this year, even with their um, shortcomings at the quarterback position, if you call it that. But when you're able to play a meaningful game into December, that's all you can ask for. You you lost to an eventual NFC Championship game participant um, to be taken out of the mix, per se. But you got to like those signs for a team that, for all intents and purposes, was undergoing um, what I would say is a pretty sizable rebuild. And it's still undergoing that. And we'll undergo that for probably the next two seasons. Um, and before we start seeing, being able to talk about, okay, what's this team going to be able to do to turn the corner? How can they use their money to maybe get some really big impact guys and do some things like that? So as far as the Falcons, when you think about the season, you've got to know, you know, you got to look back to the beginning, look back to September and realize, recognize the Rocky start. I came on this show and we, we blasted the coaching staff, uh, myself and, and Eric, and we took it to Dean Pease for, for being soft and we took it to Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot for for deceiving the fans in a sense and I, and I do think there was some sleight of hand there I think that they were not completely transparent about where this team really and truly was potentially to sell tickets whatever the case was but I don't know that the 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 full the full note we didn't know how bad this team really was going to be when we showed up in early September to see them play um how inconsistency was really the big issue this season it really showed week to week against different opponents you see how they played you know versus the Panthers early in the season when they let them run the football all over them and then how they played against them late didn't really allow the run they couldn't throw it they played a very pretty complete game and won the game um winning those games where you know you kind of you peed down your leg early in the year really was the difference and sitting at home and potentially being in the playoffs, you know, in the expanded playoffs even. And so don't get it twisted. This team is not in a position to contend yet. They won't be in a position to contend for a hot minute. They still got another couple of years of building, like I said. Um, but if they can be competitive through the building process, um, I really, which I appreciate as both, you know, someone who's kind of watching the team, covering the team, and as a fan, you've got to appreciate the, your, the willingness of your owner and your coaching staff to want to be competitive when they're trying to get to a point where they can contend for, the, for, you know, 
high seeds in your conference, you know, division titles, conference championship games and Super Bowls. Um, and, and hope that they are because that signifies, you know, competitiveness sign- with the best signifies that you're making the right moves. You're taking steps in a good direction, in the right direction. And so when you look at this offseason, there are still so many areas to improve, um, even more areas to improve, considering the status of this division going into 2022 and 23 um, with the expanded play- playoffs. But you do need offensive linemen. I think that hole is filled through, you know, free agency. I think you can get some solid offensive linemen and we don't need the guys that Thomas Dimitroff and Dan Quinn brought in to try to, you know, plug holes and things like that. You need actual stop gaps. You need actual serviceable offensive linemen. Um, you, and you need to try to spend your money wisely because you don't have a ton of it to spend if you're the Falcons. Uh, but you do have a little more than last year. Um, and I think the defense can be built through the draft. We know that it's so, you know, maybe not in Dean Pease defense because there's so much nuance and little things to it, but you know, it's a little bit easier to defend um, in the NFL than it is to kind of pick up the nuances of offensive line play. So you have a guy, you know, you can bring a guy in and ask him to rush the pass. He's going to have a little bit easier time doing that than if you're going to have to ask him to come in and, you know, protect the quarterback, play left tackle, do some of those things if he's not, you know, an advanced player already. So I think you've got to address pass rush and see who, you know, who you can get in the early rounds there and could be a difference maker. We don't need any more Tag McKinley's and Vic Beasley's. We need, you know, dogs. We need TJ Watts. We need, um, you know, Bosa's. We need those types of guys to come in and give us impact. We need, you know, we need we need those type of guys because you can't squ- keep squandering first round picks on the offensive line and um, on the defensive line because if you keep squandering it, you're going to just continually be in the same mess at those positions that Dan Quinn, you know, kind of had you in there and Dimitrov and their inability to spot talent at those spots. Um, and I, so I think you've got to address pass rush. Like I said, um, you could see them targeting a cornerback. I think to go beside AJ Terrell in those early rounds, that that is an option. Um, cornerback is a need. But I think pass rush is a bigger need because of how, you know, a dominant front four and a pass rush, you know, a Grady Jarrett up front and having some of those guys as well. Um, when you have a, a front four that can just get after the passer and stop the run, it covers a multitude of sins and wrongdoings on the back end. Um and so with that in mind, you've got to, got to, got to keep that. You've got to be able to do that. I think they've done a solid job so far with, with adding Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins on the back end. I look for both of those guys, they, both of those guys to be kind of impact players in, the, in year two for them. They kind of were brought along slowly. There's a lot to learn. They kind of drank through a fire hose in the early going of Dean Pease, you know, learning Dean Pease defense. But they took steps later in the year, partly due to injury with having to be on the field because of numbers and depth. And also because, you know, it was just time for them to get out there and they, they had, you know, made the plays in practice and we're learning um and so i really think that that they're going to take a step in the right direction in the secondary aj terrell looks like um, a number one corner as we drafted him to be so glad to see him working out as well um you know i do have questions about dean pease not from a the standpoint of you know of questioning his ability to coach the game we know that that is there we saw the improvements the adjustments made throughout the year but my question is just how long they're going to be around um because that has to affect how you make some of your personnel moves you've got to think um he's hopefully giving Arthur Smith some, some type of commitment barring a, you know, an emergency or something like that. So hopefully whoever you bring in, will still use a Dean Pease like system. I know whoever you get after who the next defensive coordinator for the Falcons is maybe it's Dean Pease for the next 10 years. And he wins two Super Bowls with Arthur Smith and those things are just great. But, you know, knowing that Dean Pease has already retired once and stepped away and came back at Arthur Smith's request, um, you've got to be thinking about what's next and, and what kind of timeline does that look like? 
But regardless of Dean P's commitment or Arthur Smith's, you know, commitment to his scheme, um, is that whatever the plan is there, it should, I think, affect your draft strategy um, and free agency because, you know, your leading tackler is a free agent this season. You got to decide what to do with him. Foye Aluakon is a free agent. Um, you know, Pease's scheme is 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 complex, um, and that's what kind of brings it that system, that piece of unpredictability um, combined with the heat um, that, that it brings. It makes me personally believe in it, believe in it. Um, so I think, you know, you've got to decide, you just got to get the right personnel there. And that, I think, starts with bringing your leading tackler back, getting Foya Luakon back, and then um, and then, and then building. It can be tough for younger or newer guys to get it, but once they understand it, guys seem to thrive in it. You know, we saw him do it in Baltimore for so many years, saw him do it in some other places as well. Well, but he can confuse quarterbacks with pressure, where it comes from, who's blitzing, who's dropping, and that's kind of the name of the game. Um, veteran quarterbacks are harder to confuse, but aside from the elite guys, a lot of quarterbacks are going to have some difficulty diagnosing what he wants to do, what he wants to do pre-snap. So I like what Dean Pease has done. I like the the improvements, the little the little changes that I saw later in the year. He was limited with his personnel as well. Let's go ahead and be real about that. Dean Pease was limited with his personnel. That's probably why they look so bad to start the year, and that's just a testament to his coaching and how far they came that they were serviceable at best at times at the end of the year against some of the better offenses they faced. Um, so with that in mind, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about the issues. We've talked about um, offensive line, defensive line being the glaring ones, but there are a few others. You're going to need potentially some more playmakers at wide receiver. Your wide receiver room is weak right now with, with you know, Calvin Ridley not being there for most of the year and the departure of Julio Jones this time, you know, last season. Uh, um, so wide receivers in need, running backs in need, even though that you, you know you have some guys that can play make there that will be free agents with Patterson and also Mike Davis around. So you're going to need some help there. You need a dynamic guy there. Um, so looking at that, they have the number eight pick, the Falcons do. So when you ask that question, who could be taken there? Who, or I guess who's off the table is kind of the question that a lot of people are kicking around. And, and for me, it's tight end, running back, and kicker. Only positions you absolutely positively cannot draft. And that's what makes it so much fun. Last season, you were in a bit of a box. You had a very limited number of guys you could take. You were down to potentially, you know, you were quarterback was an option. Kyle Pitts, obviously the option they went with. You could have entertained a defensive player like Micah Parsons, but really you didn't have this myriad of options. You were down to two to three, maybe four guys that you were really wanting to take, and that was kind of it. You could have taken the left tackle from Oregon, um, but really it was only about four to five guys that you were looking at. This year, there's so much variety. I mean, you can go Kyle Hamilton, N'Kobe Dean, Derek Stingley, Evan Neal, um, Charles Cross um, for in the offensive line category, Sauce Gardner, um, a cornerback from Cincinnati, George Karloff is a pass rusher, Jordan Davis, interior defensive lineman, um, who could, you know, potentially play the the type of you know interior defensive line that Dean Pease needs in his system um you know Drake London Garrett Wilson Jameson Williams three you know receivers dynamic receivers um Kyer Elam Chris Olave another receiver um David Ajabo another pass rusher from Michigan who was beside Aiden Hutchison all year um Traylon Burks another receiver Matt Corral Sam Howell Malik Willis the, the three quarterbacks that are kind of at the top of the class um along with Kenny Pickett who may also be up there I think it's up to the staff to just evaluate each position of need and see what needs to be addressed most. You know winning, but I think 
that's one. This is one of the things that Arthur Smith knows, and I think knows more so a previous regime, previous regimes that were here. Winning begins in the trenches, especially with the Arthur Smith offensive scheme, where he wants to run the ball downhill down your throat as much as possible. Um, so I think the offensive line and defensive line have to be up there. I also think quarterback will be considered when you're thinking of finding uh, Matt Ryan's heir apparent. But I think next year's class is going to be stronger overall when you think about some of those guys who will be coming out. Um, but I can't blame him for kicking the tires on a guy this year. Uh, I just think quarterback happens later because there are so many other glaring holes. And when you think about it, you, you've got a quarterback right now, and you do, there's no generational talent that's coming along, um, or, or a guy that you would that they are going to consider a generational talent, or a guy that they have to have that jumps off the paper. Um, so I really like going offensive line. I really like going tackle um, for a guy that could start at right tackle, move to left tackle when Jake Matthews' time is done in a few years, kind of learn the ropes, can be a part of you know a good or a veteran offensive line. I could also see him going wide receiver, especially if Ridley moves on or they move on from him, however you look at that. Um, but I think that position has value into the second, maybe third round as well. When you think George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams fell, his, his draft stock's fallen a little bit after the ACL injury. Um, I think those three guys are the types of guys that Arthur Smith likely wants. And I think one of them may be available when the Falcons second, one of the Falcons second round picks comes around. But I think that top pick probably should and most likely will be used in the trenches. The question is just, where uh, defensive tackle love Jordan Davis you know I, I don't know that you go interior defensive line at eight however I do think they could go pass rusher if one of those pass rushers jumps off the table at him or they could go you know offensive line I think they're gonna go could go you know tackle on the offensive line as well I think linebackers got to be on the table seriously um because of you know Dean Pease's ability you know or the ability of Dean Pease's defense to utilize linebackers who run well and move well in space you know um, and you think about N'Kobe Dean, you see some of the similarities to what Fourier Aluakon did for Dean Pease. Um, if they choose to move on from Aluakon, uh, N'Kobe Dean could kind of fit the bill to come in, be a younger replace, younger, cheaper replacement, um, and be kind of a natural fit there and, and wreak havoc on defenses for hopefully the next five, eight, ten years. Um, you can, like I said, edge rusher, Ajabo and Karloftis are on the table. You need that pass rush. But if you you know, put me to the wall and told me, um, pick some, who, who would you take? If you had to pick right now, who would you pick? I'm going to go linebacker with N'Kobe Dean. Um, I think that you, you can potentially get the most value out of that position. You know, N'Kobe Dean can, he can do it all. He can rush the passer. He can drop into coverage. He can, you know, he can play and come up and stop the run. He can run in space. He can tackle in space. Um, he can drop and play kind of a, in a sense, a strong safety linebacker, you know, big safety linebacker type hybrid role. If you need him to, he's not going to do it consistently, but on passing downs, he can drop into coverage. He can run with tight ends. He can run with backs across the field or out into the flat and make tackles one-on-one. Um, I think that Kobe Dean brings a lot of value if he's available at eight. And then beyond that, I think pass rusher um, edge rusher is the next and then offensive lineman would be third but you got to consider you got two picks in the second round you also got to think what if the Falcons decide to trade back they could trade that number eight pick back because um, Philadelphia has two picks in the first round could potentially trade it back to get some more picks and get some more value through the second third maybe fourth round so um, with all that in mind I think there's a lot to talk about with the Falcons that's the you know 30,000 foot view um, there will be some tough decisions to be made with this roster as well you got to look at Deion Jones Grady Jarrett Matt Ryan's contracts as well um you know riley ridley uh excuse me i'm um, calvin ridley what's what are you going to do with him and his deal um i think 
you know, the most likely guy of those bunch of that bunch to not be with the team next year is probably Ridley. And then Deion Jones is, is, is as a close second, just to save some money if a team is willing to take on both either of those guys' contracts fully or even partially in the case of Deion Jones, because cutting him only saves you a few million dollars um, as opposed to a trade where another team maybe takes on a bigger portion of the deal, saves you a little bit more money um, in, 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 in the immediate and potentially down the road in the long term. So you got it. There are going to be some suitors for those two. I think both of those guys are very good players. Deion Jones didn't quite have it this season. He wasn't as effective as we're used to seeing him be. But I think that there are some fact, a lot of factors that could have gone into that with changing scheme, changing regime, getting used to it, um, all these different things. And, you know, we, we've, we've seen him, you know, be productive before. I don't think it's to say that he can't be productive again. So with all that in mind, I think there's a lot of thought to go into the Falcons. Again, that's a 30,000 foot view right here packed in at the end of the show, but never fear. We're going to dig deeper into it. Hopefully have some folks come on and talk about this draft a little bit more in depth and give us some, uh, some more breakdown on the prospects and the guys who will be coming out. But um, that is all we have for this week. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Be sure to check out the show wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple podcasts, uh, anchor, um, be sure to like and subscribe as well. Also check us out on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, Twitter is at the 40 forum at T H E the number four, the number zero F O R U M. And also check me out on at Isaiah Smith 30. Um, thank you guys again for listening. Hope you have a great weekend and great weekend and look forward to talking to you guys very soon.